Welcome to another episode of the Project Ignite podcast, a podcast where we skip the hype, we skip the BS, and we bring you real actionable tips and strategies from entrepreneurs that are actually doing something on the internet. This is your host, Derek Gale, and uh, I got to admit, I'm just getting over a flu, so if I sound a little bit uh, snuffly and stuff, I apologize, but we're going to still have a great episode, and today we're going to talk about uh, how to grow a service business on the internet. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't have a service business. What am I going to learn here? Well, we're going to be doing talking about some cool marketing stuff either way. So no matter what, you're going to learn from something. But if you do sell a service or you have a service component in your business or you're thinking of selling a service, you should pay pretty close attention because our guest today is the founder of a digital business development firm uh, that focuses specifically on building sales and you know marketing systems on the internet for service-based businesses. And uh, so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Eric Ribello to the show. Eric, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm hoping to drop some value bombs for everybody. And I'm sure Derek will as well. So I'm ready to go. Sweet. Let's do it. Where, where do we find you today, actually? Where, where, where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in California. So United States, I know there's a lot of uh, controversy going on in California right now, but I'm still here and I plan to be here for a while. Um, but yeah, so West Coast. Uh, I'm a West. Well, I'm I'm in Vancouver, so I'm West Coast. Just oh, there you go. The, the cooler part of the West Coast. And when I say cooler, yeah. not cooler. I mean like weather cooler. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love California, man. You can't like honestly, California is just an an amazing place in terms of like climate, in terms of um, just cool stuff to do. Oh yeah. You know, it, it's it's a pretty awesome state. And when you say there's controversy, man, there's controversy everywhere now. That's true. We can't go anywhere without somebody being mad about something. Well, exactly. Right. And so we just got to kind of, yeah, let's move on and, you know, keep doing what we're doing. Um, So before we jump into things, what would be amazing and what I always like to do is just to get a little bit more about you and your background and um, how did you end up doing what you're doing with, you know, creating marketing for service businesses online? Yeah, so my journey kind of uh, follows a similar path that a lot of uh, people in their 20s have where their parents expected them to go to college and get a degree and a job and, you know, all that type of stuff. And I was actually on a pretty good path. Like there was nothing wrong uh, where I was actually going to get a degree in computer information systems or something like that. And then I uh, decided to kind of switch over to the business major section because I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm that much of an engineering type that has like that background. Like I could do it, but I don't know if I would enjoy it. So then I switched mm-hmm. over to business. And then uh, while I was doing that, I found myself not really paying attention uh, in class and really learning online. Uh, so, you know, online education and everything like that is, is proven to be much more useful for me than, mm-hmm. um, you know, just sitting in a classroom. And I learned some good stuff there. Like one of, uh, you know, my teachers was uh, for accounting actually had a seven figure business. So we listened to him, but pretty much mm-hmm. everybody else uh, that I was listening to um, or, you know, like in class with, you know, the professors and stuff, I wasn't really listening. And it got so bad that I was in a history class one time, uh, just because it was like general, you know, credits or whatever. And I was on my laptop learning, I'm sure something about marketing or ads or whatever. And then um, they, the teacher, and I was sitting in the back. So I was trying not to be a distraction, but the teacher was like, Hey, can you, you know, put your laptop yeah. away and, you know, pay attention. It looks like you're not, you know, really engaged. And I'm like, no, 
<laughs> so, you know, I, I basically told them, I'm like, I'm not bothering anybody. So just continue the class. And they were like, okay. So the teacher was probably mad, but um, yeah. it, it, it was just one of those things where I wasn't trying to be bothersome, but it is what it is. But after uh, kind of realizing like what college uh, was for me in particular, where it's like, I'm not going to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I would rather kind of go the business route, but I don't come from a business background. My family isn't necessarily entrepreneurial or anything. So I had to learn everything from the ground up of literally down to the minute detail of what is a profit and loss statement. Like I had no idea what any of that stuff was. So um, I, I was working at the time and I had school going on and uh, I was a manager for a real retail location, um, one of the telecommunications companies. And that uh, kind of, you know, I started gaining a little bit more commissions in that. So I was like, okay, I could probably drop out of school and kind of see, you know, uh, if I could like rise up in this company instead, because I could probably make a similar, you know, salary within a couple of years. And then after that, I was like, you know what? Because uh, I basically dropped out of school and then I was at the job. And the thing with the the job and my personality type is I'm very kind of type A, like I have specific things that I want to do. And I try to bring good ideas to the table. But every time I would bring a good idea to the table, they would just shut it down because it's not part of protocol. And uh, it wasn't even, you know, like a crazy thing that's like super out of the box and like super weird. It was just basic stuff of how I could run my store better. But uh, they they wouldn't allow it. So over time, I basically just you know, left that place, uh, you know, mentally, and then eventually just physically left. And then I was kind of stuck on my own to be like, well, what do I do now? I don't have school, I don't have a job. Um, and then I just started a business. And I started thinking about what do I really like to do? Or what have I always been passionate about? And since I was young, I've always been passionate about kind of like marketing media stuff. So uh -huh. I started uh, working with a few clients. Um, and I worked for them for free for about nine months. And mm -hmm. in that nine months, which I, by the way, is usually longer than most people, like all the guru people on YouTube recommend like, oh, work for free for like a month. I'm like, I did nine months and wow. I learned so much stuff in that nine months that um, after the nine months, I asked my, my current clients uh, to basically pay me. And they said, yes, because they were getting a lot of value. And um, it's kind of funny because I asked them at the end of the nine months, like, you know, can I, you know, get paid now? And then they told me how much value I brought in where they're like, yeah, we have tons of leads coming in from our website and ads and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, dang, I wish I would have known that yeah, earlier. No <laughs> Maybe, I been, <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't have been doing it for nine months for free. But yeah, uh, so that happened. And then there's just been a lot of evolutions in my business from doing everything and anything down to kind of niching down a little bit more. And I realized that the four major components of like running a successful marketing campaign is basically traffic converting the traffic, nurturing the, the leads, and then selling those inbound leads. That's mm -hmm. pretty much it. Um, and I was like, okay, so let me remove everything from my business except for those four things. And then, uh, yeah, and then kind of niching down with service businesses is, you know, there's so much e-commerce out there that's happening right now. And with Amazon taking on a lot of, you know, taking out a lot of businesses that are e-com. I just decided that a better problem for me to solve would not to be taking on Jeff Bezos and trying to help the, the e-com system, uh, but service businesses, because the majority, I think, of businesses are service businesses. And selling client services allows you to be a little bit more unique sometimes than e-com. And no disrespect to, to e-com companies, because there's a ton of them. I bought these glasses from an e-com company. But sure. um, 
it, it just allows you to, yeah, to be more unique because someone could technically go to your manufacturer and e-com and probably buy your products and kind of like, you know, make something similar, but a service business is a little bit harder to copy straight up uh, because it's people-based and like, you can't, yeah. like, you know, your team is your team and they're unique. So that's my kind of whole spiel on all of that, but it just comes down to like, I, I love helping businesses kind of do revenue, revenue growth. Um, mm-hmm because it's the most important part of their business almost <laughs> other than uh, yeah absolutely, absolutely. it's lifeblood right if you're not selling yeah. you're not you're never going to survive exactly. full stop mm-hmm. um, you know one of the things i just want to loop back to there listening to you and and um, you know i'm 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 i've got a probably 20 year head start on you i started you know on the internet in the, in the 90s mm-hmm. and it was the same thing right like you know i was uh, that said i mean i i didn't do well in school and you know i barely got into college, but <laughs> I, I was, I hated education, but you know, it's interesting. Um, since then I've sold, well, I'm, I'm now well over $200 million on the internet, you know, through all my products and stuff like that. And uh, I've built numerous businesses right now. Today, my business is going to do North of 20 million this year. And I've got, nice. you know, 60 staff and all that stuff. And I, I have, uh, since I dropped out of the very first college class I took literally, mm-hmm. um, uh, I haven't gone back to traditional academic institutions. Yep. And, and I truly believe that to learn business, especially startups, right. Mm-hmm. And especially growing, uh, and especially the marketing stuff, you don't learn that in universities. Right. Um, you know, I think from, uh, you know, my kids have asked me, you know, do you want us to go to university? I'm like, well, yeah. They're like, well, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, if you come to me and say, hey, I have a great business idea and I want to pursue it, I'll support them 100%, right? But if they're just waffling around and unsure what to do, fine, go go do something. But, you know, I, I think the, the only thing that is useful in a lot of the business courses and business degrees or BCom or whatever is learning about accounting. Because no matter what business you're in, that's going to apply. And yep. I think probably that's the weak spot in so many entrepreneurs, you know, toolbox is they don't understand accounting. Like you said that, you know, you have to educate yourself into what, you know, PL and, you know, all, you know, balance sheets and all these things are right. Yep. Um, but yeah, so much of the business stuff that I see people go to university for, I need to learn business stuff, but nah, they're not, they're not really, you know, yeah. um, learning anything that's really practical. Yeah, um, accounting and, and legal was the two biggest things for me totally. um, that were useful. Other than that, it was kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, anyway, I could go down this rabbit hole, but, I, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's an interesting story. And, you know, I've talked to now thousands of entrepreneurs and over my career, and it's shocking how many of us have that background of no college, dropped out of college, um, academically challenged, right? Mm. And, uh just did, didn't work for them. So, and my other, honestly, my other belief is, is if you spend too much in time in school, they will teach the entrepreneur out of you. Like they will ruin it. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they teach you to think in such a way in school that is not conducive with being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Problem solving and critical thinking isn't something that they focus on. I'm sure there's probably, there's even an entrepreneurship class now at some of these yeah. colleges. So I'm, I'm sure there's a problem solving and critical thinking course, which is probably in the philosophy section. But uh, yeah, they don't really, they don't really teach stuff like that. And that's, that's not really the purpose of college. You know what I mean? Like back in the day when it was basically invented, it was invented so that factory workers could 
kind of have all the same skill level and they weren't kind yeah. of variable in the way of their employees. And it's continued to do that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There, if like, there's people that go to college, they can afford it and they have a great time. They meet great people. Yeah. They network their way into a certain job and their life is fantastic because yeah. that's, that's what they want to do. It's just certain personality types. Like I, I just have a different personality type that wants to go build things and maybe take a little bit more risk and all that type of stuff. But to each their own. You know what I mean? Like whatever you want to do. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. Um, all right. So uh, the other thing that, you know, just the listeners here talking about it, that, that I picked up on is, is, you know, I really like how you focused in on, you know, what am I going to, who am I going to service? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's, a, that's a big lesson for so many yeah. people that are starting out. They want to be, everything to everyone, right? Oh, I'm going to be an internet marketing firm and they're working for the local pet store and the yeah. local, you know, whatever they can, whatever they can, uh, can go after. So mm-hmm. um, you've now focused on service businesses. And uh, so let's dig into that service businesses. Um, what kind of service businesses are you kind of focused on? Because I mean, service, that's a massive category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, that's why I am actually niching down a little bit more now in the way of my marketing message and communication where it's a lot of um, healthcare, medical, fitness, wellness. I kind of put that in one category of health. And then there's like technology, um, software, cyber, um, you know, B2B tech mainly, uh, not really yeah. B2C tech. And then home services is a, is a big one for us where, you know, just plumbers, painters, HVAC, roofing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, we have some legal, but I think that we're going to mainly focus on the first three that I just mentioned. And number one will probably be health um, that we're probably doubling down on even more just because it's such a broad niche and I'm just really passionate about health myself. Um, So it's basically health going to come first, B2B tech second, and then home services third. Um, as far as kind of what we're focusing on and I'm sure we can help, you know, other businesses as well, but really what it comes down to of why I help service businesses is because the funnel is almost the same for like a lot of the businesses. It's basically a high ticket call funnel and any, if you're selling a product from $500 or a service, sorry, I should say a service from $500 to 10,000 plus dollars. Um, I even have, uh, I had a client where we, um, we're doing B2B tech, basically uh, certain, you know, LinkedIn ads and stuff like that for them. And they sold a service that was roughly about one to $2 million a year, but it could range from 250,000 on the low end up to about 5 million yearly. And that's, that's what they were billing clients, like big enterprise clients. So it's like, we're all over the place, but it just comes down to the funnel of seeing an advertisement, converting a lead on a website, and then nurturing that lead to eventually get a call appointment or some type of consultation. And then using uh, inbound sales, you know, kind of strategies and stuff like that to uh, turn that into a deal. So again, some, I want to point out to the listeners here, um, you know, you listed all those different categories that you're going after there. And the one Mm -hmm. thing that they all have in common is they all have a really high customer value. They have a high transaction value and they're willing to spend money to buy customers. And that's such an important lesson for people. Um, Cause I've seen people go and say, Oh, I want to do uh, marketing for restaurants, for example. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is a restaurant has such a low transaction value. Yep. They'll never, it's hard to get them to wrap their head around a media buy or an ad spend or, a, you know, your local barber shop who's cutting hair for 20 bucks a pop. 
it, it, it's really hard for them to see that. But when you're dealing with what you talked about there, those are all businesses that, you know, when they get a customer, that customer could be worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. So for them to spend a few hundred to acquire it is a no brainer for them. Right. And that's a lesson for everybody here, right? You know, how much is the customer worth to that person? That'll dictate how much you can charge. So anyway, didn't want to interrupt there. I just think that's a real valuable lesson for people. Um, all right. So let's, let's dig into a, this, the service, uh, business, right? Um, now, as you said, really it's a high ticket call funnel. And, and, and it's funny because I get lots of people ask me and some of my trading products are like, well, you know, will this work for service? Will marketing work for service business? I'm like, yeah, instead of add to cart, it's call now type thing. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a bit of a different process. How would you, how would you like walk me through a funnel that you would set up for somebody? What does that look like? How are you warming somebody up prior to a call to action? And then what does that call to action look like? Yeah. So obviously it depends on the, the type of business with the details, but I'll kind of go concept framework level. Um, so first of all, the ad traffic, you know, you have to think about, there's only two types of ad traffic. It's really inbound and outbound. So inbound is Google search and maybe like YouTube ads, cause people are searching for stuff. And then outbound is Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, TikTok, all that type of stuff. And you have to have two different kind of skills for that because inbound is basically just let's capture as many of those people as possible based on keywords and things like that and it's a little bit more uh data driven and like text you know based because there's no creative uh well youtube has creative but like google search ads don't have creative uh, outbound like facebook and instagram you have to have a little bit more creativity and like basically make your offer more compelling because you're going to a market that isn't necessarily searching for what you're looking for but it is based on user data and targeting, right? So someone is in the market most likely for something if their Facebook is based on these behaviors, right? So you're kind of guessing a little bit more, but uh, yeah. So basically creating a compelling offer is doing some market research and finding out what does your customer actually want and what do they like desire? And because a lot of businesses have this kind of bland flat offer that isn't necessarily either using the language that the customer, the, the, you know, prospect or client is looking for, or it's just not a valuable offer. Like for example, a gym doing, you know, like, let's say a gym does 5% off, like how compelled are you to come in and do that? Yeah. No, like not at all. But if the gym basically says, Hey, our customers on average within 60 days lose 10 pounds, like I don't even, you know, whatever kind of number it is. And we're going to give you the first class free. Now it's like, Whoa, most likely they said their average person is able to lose this much weight and they're giving me a free class to try it out. What's the downside? You know what I mean? Like it's then they're yeah. more likely to come in. And then when that person comes in, then you're able to kind of like have them on a recurring basis or upsell like a different service or something like that. But the ad traffic, like really it just comes down to having a compelling offer and something that stands out. Um, too often, you know, you see these kind of also bland ads where it's like, you, it's not a scroll stopper. You know what I mean? So it's got to have like some, something yeah. about it in the first headline that, you know, kind of gets somebody's attention, first of all, then it has to be compelling as they like read it. So copywriting is a huge part of Facebook ads, Instagram ads, any outbound stuff, because you have to, you know, get someone's attention and get them to willing to listen to you. Um, and then co uh, compliance is another thing for copywriting as well Is like, you have to make sure your copywriter is compliant with all the ad platforms. Cause if you use incorrect language, then Facebook will just ban your account. 
Um, so there's that. The second thing is when they go from the ad to the landing page or website, it has to be simple, clean, minimal, and very clear on like what it is. So like if you go from an ad and it has a certain marketing message, and then all of a sudden you get to the landing page and it like looks different, it's using different language and like it's not cohesive, the person gets kind of confused. And when someone is uncertain, they'll just not do anything, right? Um, so I see that happen a lot too, where they'll, they'll put an ad towards, you know, a website and then the website or landing page will just kind of be really messy, have a lot of stuff yeah. on it. And it's just like overwhelming. It needs to have one clear message, one clear call to action, really simple looking. And they, you don't need to have the fanciest landing page in the world, but again, it goes back to the compelling offers. If the text or the headline on that page is really good, you'll get a lot of people that are filling out, you know, the, the, um, the form or whatever you're trying to do. I've seen some terrible looking landing pages convert like crazy because what's happening is the marketing message is so strong. Right. And I think it was one of the classic copywriters um, that basically said like 80, uh, 80% of, or basically 80% of your dollar that you're spending is on the headline on basically whatever you're doing. Right. And then they'll read the rest of the page, but most people care about reading the headline of whatever you're trying to do. Then when you get someone to fill that out, right, you text them, email them, follow up with them on the back end, And usually you want to have some type of automated system for that. Um, that, and then in the text campaigns and email campaigns, they need to be short to the point and educational. Um, the whole process should be kind of educational as, as well, because if you go straight for the sale, it doesn't really you know, nobody wants to be sold to like that. They want to be, they want to learn about your service and then kind of come to their own, their own conclusion to, to purchase it. But once, uh, you know, you send these emails and texts out of different information, like for example, if you're, um, this is kind of a weird example I just thought of, but if you're a dentist, right? Some people are afraid of going to the dentist. Like there's actually like a thing uh, with that. So <laughs> let's say oh, yeah. that's kind of your target market. You know that there's people that are scared of going to the dentist, right? Whether it's kids or adults. Um, you can send them educational content of how to be calm at the dentist. Like even something that simple shows that you understand your market enough to put in the effort to try and help them from beginning to end. And then uh, once the person gets on the phone with you, then it's kind of like a, a different ball game because sales 50 years ago was not sales now. So the inbound sales strategies that we recommend for our clients and we kind of like teach them is question-based or discovery-based. And once you ask all these different questions, then you can understand the problem at its core of really what the person wants and then talk about that. Um, like, you know, if, if you're a chiropractor and someone's talking about, you know, I have back pain, you're not going to, you know, sell them on a weight loss thing. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like that's not their, their problem. So uh -huh. once you understand their problem, they're a lot easier to talk to about it. And then it just kind of comes to like objection handlers and all this type of stuff. But the it's a whole process it's really like dense and that's why we try to help with every piece of the puzzle but you know I, I see a lot of business owners only try and do one piece of the puzzle and it doesn't really work like that you have to have the whole system kind of dialed in um or you know you're not going to get the best value for your money so i hope that yeah. was i hope that explained kind of yeah for sure and, and there's there's lots of I, I think interesting snippets in there as well um you know, first of all, service-based businesses, these are typically people that are good at the service they're providing. They're not mm -hmm. marketers. Um, and uh, they don't understand that whole process and and how it has to all be congruent every step mm -hmm. of the way. 
Um, and I think one of the things that I've seen happen many times, particularly with agencies that start working with uh, service-based clients or call sort of call-in type clients is they build the whole marketing, but that once that phone rings, it's passed off to the company and the company, um, whoever's answering the phone can make or break the campaigns, right? Um, how do you handle that? Are you actually training the staff, giving them scripts as well? Yeah, so we have a, a video course that we're still in the process of fully kind of building, but we have the basics in there. And basically, it just comes down to what questions can you ask um, on on a, on a call? What like type of discovery can you do? And then objection handlers, pretty much sure. it. Um, and then maybe like some, you know, call to action, like, you know, kind of like at the actual close itself, but mainly it's just questions and objection handlers. And yeah, if you're having your you know, receptionists at your front desk, take your calls, they have to be willing to, you know, have some persuasion in there. And it's totally like, obviously of integrity, like you basically are just guiding the prospect to the deal. You know what I mean? So it's like, you have to change your viewpoint on sales. Like I feel a lot of business owners have this kind of weird view of sales where they, they don't like it. And I totally get it because it has a bad connotation with like the used car salesman people and stuff, but that's not what we're doing. Like this is people that are coming to you looking for your service They They have a need and you're just helping them with that. So it, it's, you got to change your viewpoint to helping the customer instead of selling the customer. You know what I mean? Cause that's actually what you're doing. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, I, I think entrepreneurs, um, uh, and business owners have to just make peace with sales, right? You know, yeah. if you don't like sales, get over it because selling is what keeps your business afloat, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with selling. If you believe in your product and you know your product can help somebody and make their life better in some way or another, yep. then you're doing them a disservice if you're not trying to sell that to them, you know? Sure. Um, it, it's de it's definitely a mental framing and it just drives me crazy when people are like, I hate selling. I'm like, well, don't be in business then. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, what's interesting about that? Sorry not to interrupt, but... The thing is, is these business owners are skilled at what they do, like you mentioned earlier, but they, um, they, they almost feel like they're trying, like, I feel like they're trying to do too many things, right? Like it's okay to be a business owner that is really good at your service and not so good at sales, but now you need to find someone that's good at sales and marketing and stuff like that. So it's like, sure. there's, you know, like lawyers go to school for what, like 12 years or something like that to get good at law, not revenue growth. So either hire someone within your internal business or hopefully your business partner, if you have one, is good at those things that you're not good at. And, uh, you know, or, you know, you hire an agency and like they can help you with that too. But it, it you, I mean, still it goes back to what you said, where they have to be comfortable with, with sales and stuff. But if that's not their strong suit, then just find someone that, that you know, that is their strength. For sure. Absolutely. So, okay. So the other thing I want to talk about here is traffic sources. So, and, and the reason I bring this up is, is, you know, you talked about how you've got your inbound stuff, people that are searching and looking for you. And, mm -hmm. and for, I would say for most service businesses, that's a no brainer, right? Like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're in a service business in a geographic area, serving a market with some kind of service, that's probably the number you need to be in Google. You need to be yeah. in, in those places, Yelps or wherever, wherever they're looking for those specific services. And you need to do everything to do to make sure you're well represented there, optimized there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's a no brainer. The one I struggle with for a lot of service businesses though, is social. And, and the reason why is because, um, Let's take Facebook, for example, right? Uh, and I'm going to use a perfect example. A friend of mine, 
he uh, hit me up the other, literally the other day. He's got a physiotherapy uh, clinic here in Vancouver, a very successful physiotherapist. And, you know, I've guided him and, you know, coached him along the way on, you know, how to get all his Google stuff set up. He's a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, he, he's like, hey, you know, I got this message from somebody. They want to do all my social content for me and they're going to charge me this much and blah, 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 blah. I mean, my, my response to him was, is, look, dude, people don't go to Facebook to find their physiotherapist. Like they just don't. That's not where we go and think about physiotherapy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other side of it, organic content has no reach anyway, and people don't typically follow, hang out, like, and engage with their physiotherapist on Facebook. It's just not, it's just mm-hmm. not a thing. So that leaves us with ads. And ads make sense if you have a really compelling general enough offer. For example, you gave the offer of, if I was opening a gym locally here and I could say, you know, lose 30 pounds in 30 days, first class free, blah, 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 totally would do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But what other kind of offers would that, and I would pay for that and push that out. I think I could do okay. Right. But Mm -hmm. for something like a physiotherapist where it's, it's a, it's an on-demand thing. Ow, this hurts. I need a physio, right? Mm -hmm. I need a dentist. I need uh, somebody to clean my gutters. Right. Do you find social has much impact on that stuff? Is there a, is there a profitable ROI on that? I like, cause I don't see it. Yeah. So there totally is. And I totally get what you're saying where when someone is searching for something, it's a different game. Like for example, mm-hmm. like you said, a uh, similar example is like a lawyer, like a lawyer doing Facebook ads can seem kind of not, uh, you know, relevant or not good to do because when someone gets sued is when they need the service. But this is where a little bit of uh, branding, or I almost call it like direct response kind of brand building, um, where you're paying for advertisements to educational content um, at a relatively reasonable cost. And then that, that helps people connect with like you, but they could also like refer people. So I, I'm probably explaining it not the best, but I'll, I'll give an example. So physiotherapist, right? they need uh, their cut, their target market needs the service at a specific time. And it might not be right now if they're scrolling through Facebook. But if you do an educational video views type campaign, um, those end up being really inexpensive, like you can get video views for a lot, right? So then remarketing is where or retargeting is where this whole strategy is like comes into play and is 100% necessary. So if you're a physiotherapist, you're putting video views campaigns out there and you're getting literally tens of thousands of views in this local area that you're working, right? Yeah. But let's say that, you know, very small amount of those people are actually going to use your service. Well, you do remarketing or retargeting campaigns to see who watches 75 to 90% of your videos. Those people right. are probably pretty qualified because why would they be watching the video if they're not in the market or know someone that's in the market? So when you do this remarketing, um, you you then do follow-up advertisements that can be a little bit more direct. So if you put educational content out there, it's kind of broad and you're not really selling anything, but the people that are viewing that, you hit them with another ad later down the sequence uh, that basically has a little bit more of a straightforward offer of like, hey, if you need a physiotherapist, here's the compelling offer I have, right? The the remarketing campaigns on, or basically on the back end is where you're going to get all of your leads from not on the front end 
So yeah. the gym, you're going to have your leads on the front end kind of, cause you just have that offer and yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. The physiotherapy thing or legal or whatever else it is that they're not, or that they're searching for it, the, the market is searching for in the moment like that, or when, when they have a problem, I should say, um, remarketing is where that comes in. So I, I kind of explain that. No, that totally makes sense. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna break this down for the listeners because it, it, it does make sense. And I've used similar campaigns before. <clears throat> so basically what we're saying, let's take the physiotherapy for ex- guy, for example, let's say here on the, in uh, West Vancouver, at a physiotherapy clinic. I push a piece of content over Facebook on a video view campaign. So optimized for views is super cheap way to do it. And that video is an educational piece. Let's call it you know, 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, you know, I demonstrate three simple exercises to alleviate lower back pain. Right. And so for everybody listening, so that's what I do. I push that out there. And then Facebook, I can set my campaign up so that um, I set up a retargeting campaign that says, okay, anybody that watched say seven minutes or more of that 10 minute video, I want to retarget them with a specific offer. So you take this very cheap campaign and this is sort of like a a fishing net we cast out there and we see who's interested by who watched it the longest. And we know if they're watching a back pain video for seven minutes or more, they probably have back pain. And now we then follow up with a retargeting offer, which is a little bit more expensive, but it's going to be more direct. So, you know, it's such low volume. Your CPMs are going to be nothing anyway. Um, So now you're getting a, uh, an ad to somebody that you know is interested in lower back pain because they actually watched the video for seven plus minutes, right? So that, and, and that's a, that's a, I just want everybody to really listen to that because that's a really smart strategy that you can apply in just about any market where it's really tough to filter down the market and figure out who's interested in something. Um, uh, to, to, yeah, to, to build a, a profitable retargeting campaign. So that's a very cool strategy that you just shared there. And I just yeah, want to make then, sure totally understood that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I it was explaining it kind of weird because I was uh, a little bit scrambled, but exactly what you said, you broke it down <laughs> very easily. Um, and then the thing, well, like when I talked about that, that video views campaign strategy, you have to like make sure your video is good too. So I want to walk through that a little bit just to, because sure, I know people away. would have questions about that. When you make a video, it's the same thing as doing copywriting for an ad. So the first three seconds have to have some type of hook. Um, and then you have to kind of acknowledge the problem or agitate it, right? And then once the person is listening, then you can uh, bring up your solution and then have proof and testimonials and then call to action, right? Pretty standard formula. Um, I have a, a video, like a copywriting video that kind of talks about that on my YouTube. And you can follow the same structure for um, for doing videos. But a lot of business owners have problems getting on video because they just aren't confident on camera. And the tip for that I would have is make 100 videos on your cell phone and don't post any of them. So there's no risk. No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to, you're not going to be embarrassed or anything like that. You're just going to make a bunch of videos. And then after the hundredth video, which, you know, you could do that literally in like a a weekend. you like, you know, it's just because most ads that you would do on your phone anyway are going to be like two to three minutes. Um, So it's not going to be anything crazy. You could do that in a weekend. And after that 100th video, I feel like you're going to be a little bit more confident about talking about your your service, you know, on camera and doing these ads. And the just think about like when you're making the video, people are inherently, humans are inherently selfish, right? So they want to know what they're going to get out of it. So 
the hook has to basically compel them to watch the rest of the video and you're selling consumption. Once that happens, then we go into the whole retargeting strategy that we just mentioned. Um, but yeah, so I guess spend some time on making videos if you're a business owner that hasn't done it before, or maybe find someone in your office that is comfortable on camera. Again, business partner, if it's not your strength, you know, try and do it at first. But if you really can't get the hang of it for whatever reason, you're very introverted, have an extrovert do it. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of my. Wait, but you're a lot nicer than me because every time it says, oh, I, I don't like to see myself on video. I'm like, get over it. Nobody does, right? Like, <laughs> move on. I've never yeah. met somebody who's like, oh, I love seeing myself on video. Mm-hmm. Um, first time you see yourself talking on video, you're like, oh, God, is that what I look and sound like? <laughs> um, yep. I think everybody has that first visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also tons of places you can hire people now, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's so easy to get spokespeople and stuff like that. Um, there's no reason you shouldn't. So, um, and, and so just to reiterate, I just want to go back to that video for framework. You broke it down one more time for me. What was the sequence you went through there? Cause I thought it was really good. So it's basically hook. Um, so in the first three seconds, because they've kind of done tests on this and you have about three seconds cause we're in such a short attention span world <laughs> that you have to do that. And then after that, you mention the problem or kind of agitate whatever their issue is that you're trying to target for. And then after that, you just talk about your solution. But when you talk about your solution, talk about the results and outcomes, not like a feature, like, cause People don't care about the feature on whatever you're trying to do necessarily until like kind of after the sale and they're kind of thinking back to it and all that type of stuff. They care about what result they're trying to get from your service. So talk about that. Then testimonials, reviews, kind of proof, right, of like what you have to offer is good. And then after that, the strong, compelling call to action. Um, And that's pretty much it for for videos. And then, yeah, roughly about two to three minutes is usually good. And you can fit all that uh, into about a two, three minute video. And you need to be really quick. You know what I mean? So um, whenever you do your edits for your videos, make sure, again, they're as as short as possible. It doesn't even have to be two or three minutes if that's not how long it takes to to do all those things. Um, If you have a pretty simple, you know, service or offer. But uh, that's that's kind of my framework for making videos usually. So, um social networks, which ones do you guys get most success with? Um, good question. So Facebook and Instagram, obviously YouTube is pretty good. YouTube's a little bit of a weird beast. Um, but like, you know, can, can work really well. Uh, cause you know, Google searches and then all of a sudden you get YouTube ads and stuff. Uh, LinkedIn has been a really good one as well. And a lot of people kind of complain that LinkedIn has a huge price floor, uh, where it's really expensive and stuff. And I'm like, do you not like the thing about LinkedIn? I'm like, these people are super qualified. This is a B2B business network. And the people looking at your LinkedIn ads are usually high net worth individuals and the companies, you know, like, like when I mentioned that B2B technology company we were working with, uh, they're targeting like fortune one or probably fortune 500 companies. You know what I mean? And we were getting views from like chief purchasing officers of big companies, right on LinkedIn. And people don't think that that, you know, that people are doing that. And I, I can get the argument that, you know, some CEO of a fortune 500 company isn't on, or not a CEO, but like just people in like, you know, the, the C-level uh, executives aren't on LinkedIn all day. And that's totally true. They're not on LinkedIn all day, but they are sometimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? And well, all that, it takes it. is yeah, yeah. Yeah. one employee, one key, uh, key person in a company to see your ad and then kind of be like, wait a minute, I could tell my boss about this and maybe I'll get some credit for it, you know, for finding yeah. this cool thing. So there, there's a whole kind of dynamic with LinkedIn ads, but um, Google, Google ads have been huge. Um, Facebook, Instagram together have been pretty good. And then YouTube under that, and, well, YouTube and LinkedIn, I think are tied for kind of like 
results or like success, but still Facebook, Instagram, Google, it's not dead. A lot of people are like, Facebook ads are dead. And it's like, no, your no, marketing message just isn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, the platform's evolving and changing. And if you don't evolve and change, you, you know, you might assume it's dead, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. Well, look, um, before we wrap up and, and this has been an awesome conversation and lots of great nuggets for my audience here, lots of value. That's amazing. Um, that said, if people want to learn more from you, I know you have a podcast, you talked about your YouTube channel, where can people connect with you? Yeah. So it's just Eric Rebello on pretty much everything. And then uh, like website, YouTube, all that type of stuff on my YouTube. I just have some like educational videos on, on marketing and stuff. And I'm going to start adding a lot more to that and uh, just kind of giving away some, some basic stuff that hopefully people can use to, to grow their business. And then eventually, you know, talk to me about stuff if they want to do anything, but mainly it's just to help. And uh, I like making videos anyway. It's kind of like a passion project of mine. So it's just fun, but nice. uh, yeah, they can, they can find me on there. Good. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you having me on.